God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. And thanks so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you turn in your Bibles to the 21st chapter of Genesis? That's where we're going to be today. And as you know, we'll put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. And today we're continuing along in our journey through the book of Genesis. Remember the Hebrew? Hasefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis. And this week we're at the 21st chapter. Today I'd like to talk to you about faithful. You know, the definition of faithful in the dictionary is steadfast in affection or allegiance. It's like the loyalty of a faithful friend, holding tight to a promise. I like that. Holding tight to a promise. Promise that God's made you. Holding on to that promise as you go through life, waiting for God to patiently fulfill it. But then you being faithful is like the loyalty of a faithful friend to God. You're loyal to Him, you're faithful to Him, waiting for Him to faithfully fulfill His promise. Now, we're going to go through chapter 21 today, and it's going to be a little bit longer chapter. Just in preparation for it, I had an extra large coffee this morning, and so fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. You know, the outline today that we're talking about is one of faithfulness. Like I said, I'm talking to you about being faithful. But there's being faithful from your side, and there's being faithful from God's side. There's you being faithful to God, and there's you being faithful to others as well. This chapter talks about all of those. We're going to see how God is faithful to Abraham and Sarah in the first few verses. And then after that, we're going to see how Abraham is faithful to God, to trust God, to rest in God, and to wait on the Lord. And then finally, we're going to see God's faithfulness to look after Hagar and her son Ishmael, which means God hears. And that's a lesson for us too, even in her life, that no matter where you are in the wilderness, not knowing what's going to happen to you, thinking you're already at the end and you don't have any hope, you don't have any future, even in your sin, no matter where you are, God cares about you and He hears you. Just call out to Him because God hears. And that's what the name Ishmael means. Ishmael means God hears. We use the Hebrew word Shemaiah. Shemaiah, listen. Lishmoa, to, to hear, to listen. And then finally today, we're going to be talking about Abraham's faithfulness to another person, Abimelech, the king. And remember, we've said the past couple of weeks that Abimelech is just a way of saying Av, which is like Abba, but Av is father, Abba is daddy, and Abimi, if we say Abi, Ab, Avi, we're saying my father. If you add that I sound on the end, Abi, that means my Av, or my father. And then Melech just means king. So that's saying, my father is a king. My father is king. And keep in mind that last week we said that that's how a king proved that he had a right to the throne. Because the king would be a lineage from a previous king. He had to be a lineage in the kingly family to be the king. And so Abimelech was not a name. It was a title. And by calling himself Abimelech, he was saying Abimelech. My father is a king, and so don't come in and try to uh, get rid of me because I'm here legally. I'm, I'm a legal king because my father was a king. That's what he was saying. We're going to see in the last part of the chapter today, Abraham's faithfulness to Abimelech. Now, Abimelech sees that Abraham was a man of integrity. We saw that from before, that uh, he knew that Abraham would pray for him and that God would heal the women that were part of His kingdom because God had closed the wombs. He had closed the ability for the women to have children because 
Abimelech had taken Sarah, Sarah, Abraham's wife, into his harem, but he didn't do anything with her. But God spoke to him that night and said, you got to give him, give her back because she's another man's wife. Well, Abimelech said, of course, like, well, God, I didn't know that. Abraham himself said that she's my sister. He didn't say she's my wife. And God said, I know you did this out of the innocence of your heart. So you make sure to give her back. Otherwise, you're going to die. And so Abimelech knew that Abraham was a prophet, but also he didn't think too highly of Abraham's integrity at that point in time because Abraham had lied to him about his wife being his sister instead, you see. But nonetheless, Abimelech has been watching Abraham through the years. Through all of this time, he sees that God is blessing Abraham. He sees that God is blessing his herds, his flocks, that they're multiplying, that the wealth of Abraham is multiplying all these hundreds and hundreds of people that are with Abraham. And everyone is like thinking of Abraham as, as this very, very powerful man. The irony of it all is that Abraham was really a very quiet and humble man. And he spent his time listening to God. And that was the secret of his wealth. That was the secret of his power. Now, if you're thinking, oh, good, I want to know that secret because I want God to make me wealthy. Just forget about that. Put that thought out of your mind because you're not seeking true riches. True riches are not of this earth. True riches are in the kingdom of heaven. You put your heart and mind on the things of God and God will take care of you in this life. He may make you rich. He may not. But you'll be rich inside and you'll have everlasting life. And that's worth all the riches and far more that you could ever imagine. And so that's beyond everything that you could hope for yourself. So get out of the mindset of thinking in terms of physical things only. Your body is more than this skin. Your body is more than this hair, if you still have it. And some of us don't have as much as we used to. But your body is much more than just this physical life and the few years you have here. You were created in the, in the, in the image of God. You were created in the image of God, and God created you with eternal spirit. You were designed to live forever. That's what I'm saying. Now, let's go into chapter 21, and let's read the verses, and we'll comment on them as we go along. As you know, that's how we teach through the Bible. There's times when we talk about topics, and then there's times when we go verse by verse through the Bible so that you will know what it says. Now, if you're one of my Jewish brothers and sisters, and I say brother and sister because, you know, I was born into a Jewish family also, and all the uh, names in my family were Jewish names, Emma, Ada, uh, Yosef, Yaakov, all, all these things and everything. So I know you've got to focus on the Torah, right? Torah, the first five books of the Bible. I know you're, you're concerned about that. Well, you know what we're doing here today and every week as we're going through the book of Genesis is we're going through the very first book of the Torah, the one that introduces us to God Himself. Now, you may say, well, I've got rabbi friends and they study the Torah all day long. But really, do they? Most of the time, the rabbis will tell you that they go to the yeshiva or the school, the yeshiva, and they study the Torah. But really, what they're studying is what other rabbis tell them about the Torah. But the verses themselves, not so much. I mean, we have our parashot, the parashah that's given every Shabbat in the synagogues and the Beit HaKnesset, the Beit Knesset, and we see these things. You know, but basically these things are scripture, but most of the people focus on what the rabbis tell them. Well, what we're doing today and every week here in the Shepherd's Light Online Church, your church, is that we're going through the Torah. Here, you're going to see exactly what the Torah itself says. You don't have to listen to what the rabbis say. You don't have to even pay attention to what I say. I'm going to go through every verse in this book. And we're going to be teaching through the Bible. I'm going to be teaching through the Torah. And this is the first and biggest book of the Torah right here. The first, probably the most important book in the Torah. And we're going to be teaching it verse by verse. So if you've ever wanted to learn Torah, 
Well, this is it. So pay attention. Verse 1 of chapter 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Remember the last chapter when he said this time next year she's going to have this promised child that I've been promising you for 25 years. Well, now the Lord visits Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Verse 2 then says, For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Abraham was now about 100 years of age. And he says, At the set time at which God had spoken to him. That's what verse 1 and 2 say. And so we look at this and we see, first of all, as I said in our introduction, that first of all, we're going to talk about God's faithfulness. Here's God's faithfulness to Abraham and Sarah. And at last we see that promises is, come to, is coming to pass, that promise that God gave to Abraham and Sarah 25 years earlier. And now it's finally coming to pass. And we see that many times there's a time gap between the promise that God gives us and the fulfillment of that promise. And you know exactly what I mean. Sometimes you give up on even getting a prayer answered. and You don't realize God hasn't forgotten about that. It's just not the right time to answer it yet. But when He answers it, you're going to know about it. People are very impatient today. They're used to getting everything they want, and they want it right now. But God not only knows what's best for you, He also knows when the best time is to give it to you. So learning to trust in the Lord and in His wisdom will be a key part of your training in your life in the coming kingdom as well. In that coming kingdom, you're experiencing everlasting life, and God has important things for you to do. And it's going to involve trusting in Him and resting in Him, and He's going to guide you there as He guides you here. It's going to be an amazing adventure, totally different. You're going to have amazing power that you don't have right now. You're going to have no sickness, no more pain, no more tears, no crying, no death. Nothing like that, but you're going to have an important life. You're not just going to be sitting back and laying back on, the, on that cloud and watching all those thousands of channels on cable television. Oh, I hope not. That would be the wrong place then. Now, I want to be in heaven where television doesn't exist. Excuse me. But anyway, we want to learn in this life to trust the Lord and in His wisdom. And to be a key part of our training in that is that we rest in Him and we rest in His wisdom. We learn how to trust our Heavenly Father and wait on Him in life. It's essential that we live our lives as people of faith. So we see Abraham, the father of our faith, as the Bible calls him, put into a situation where his own faith was stretched. What am I saying? 25 years ago he had the promise. And just now, 25 years later, he's getting that promise and having a son born to him when he's 100 years of age. Total miracle. Total miracle. And his wife is 90 years of age, having a son born for her and Abraham, totally beyond the age of childbearing. Total, complete miracle. And God did that to show that this was not of man. This wasn't just the normal birth. This was a special person that was going to be born, and the hand of God would be upon this person, Isaac. And then hand of God would be upon him, leading him, and through his seed, the promise for God's Mashiach, the Messiah, would be fulfilled. So in Abraham's patience, Abraham receives the promise of God. And we're seeing that right here. And it says in verse 3 through 7, And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Yitzchak. Now remember, that's how we say it in Hebrew, Yitzchak, laughter. You would say it in English, Isaac. Doesn't matter to me which way you say it. I thought you might want to know. Yitzchak. And you have to learn that sound, that cha, cha sound that you Hebrew speakers easily speak. And you English speakers wonder how to make that sound. Yitzchak. And so Isaac, or Yitzchak, as we would say, it says then in verse 4, Abraham circumcised his son, Yitzchak, 
when he was eight days old, just like God had commanded him to do, it says. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear me will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I borne him a son in his old age. Now you remember that, of course, Sarah had laughed when the Lord first told Abraham that in about a year's time, Sarah was going to have a child. And she laughed. She laughed in her heart, the scripture said. But the Lord sees the heart, hears the heart, just like he hears your words and sees you. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Well, short answer to that is absolutely not. He spun the universe into existence. 2.2 trillion galaxies, each with 200 to 600 billion stars, each star a million times bigger than the earth that we live on. Think of that, how many stars, the wonders that God stretched out with His hand and then said, let there be light and lit them all up to where they were light. The power of God. I'll ask you, like God asked Abraham, is there anything too hard for the Lord? What are you going through that you think is just really hard? What are you going through that you've given up, you think it's hopeless? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Later, when you see the answers that God does to those really hard problems, you're going to be laughing. You're going to go, amazing what God did. Can you imagine what God did? Look at what He did to that impossible situation and turned it into something beautiful. And now everyone that hears this story will glorify God and smile and laugh at the wonder of God, how wonderful He is. And so we see that this child is named Isaac, just like the Lord told Abraham to name him. He's named Laughter. But now Sarah and Abraham are laughing for a different reason. It's not because of disbelief. It's because they're amazed at what God has done. That even in their old, old age, far beyond, far past childbearing age, here God gives them a child, just like they were younger people or something. There's nothing impossible with God. Remember that. In the things that you go through, in the things that you're facing, they may look hard. They may look impossible to you. It may look like all hope is gone, but there is nothing impossible with God. And so we continue on then in verse 8, it says in chapter 21, So the child, Isaac, grew and was weaned. In other words, he was no longer on his mother's milk at that time. Now, scholars believe that this was possibly as late as three years of age when he was weaned. And, and it's, it's always a wonderful time when the child is weaned because it shows that they're maturing. It shows that they're growing up and they're leaving the mother's milk and now they're able to eat real food. And they'll taste what hamburgers are like. Wow, that'll be a big day. They'll taste what steak is like. That'll be a big day, even though it may be more rare no pun intended, that you eat steak rather than hamburger just because of the cost. You may like it medium rare, but never mind. So the child grew and was weaned, it says in verse 8, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. This was a big thing because he's seen his child grow. He's seen his child now able to take in meat instead of milk. Well, in the same way, really, there's great joy not only in the heart of our Heavenly Father, but in your earthly parent when we see our own kids move from milk to meat, when they can sink their teeth into the Scriptures and get truth out of it on their own, when they no longer have to be fed by their mom or their dad from a spiritual bottle. If this is the only time you hear what the Word of God says when you come to these online church meetings, you're still on milk. We're still feeding you with a bottle. You need, to, you need to learn how to open that Word of God and get that meat of the Word yourself and grow. You wouldn't expect to go through life only feeding yourself one day a week, would you? Well, in the same way, don't expect to go through your spiritual life just getting fed one day a week and having someone else feed you. 
learn to get into the Word of God. As we say at the end of each one of these online church sessions, uh, services, that you get into a good Bible-based church and learn about the Word of God on your own. Study it and learn of your Heavenly Father and learn the wonders that He has for you and the promises He has for your life in the contents of the Word of God. When you learn to feed yourself from God's Word and you're no longer dependent on a father or a mother to spoon feed you everything, that's when you'll really start growing. How do you become a deeper person in the Word of God? The writer of Hebrews says that we use strong meat, but strong meat only belongs to those who by reason of exercising their senses have learned to discern good and evil. You become wise. You've learned what God's heart is. You know how to interpret the word. You don't fall for everything that someone says is religious. You don't fall for some prophecy that some person just comes up and tells you that they heard the word of God say to them about you. You learn to research it in the word yourself and see what God would have said and see what He would not have said. You learn the things that are approved by God and the things that are disapproved by God. And you use that to judge everything else that you hear, to discern what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong. In other words, strong meat is given to those who have already been through the strained vegetables and the baby food and the milk Strong meat will be added to your diet when you become mature enough in the things of God. And you should be doing that now. If you're listening to me teach you every week from God's Word, we're studying the Word of God. We're studying the strong meat. And I pray that God's Holy Spirit would open your understanding and your heart and that these things would go deep inside and grow in you to be a river of living water that will then flow out of you to be able to teach and share with others the life-giving Word of God. Then verse 9 through 11 in Genesis 21 continues, and it says, Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, and the son of Hagar the Egyptian was scoffing. Verse 10 continues, Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman will not be the heir with my son, shall not be the heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Verse 11 then says, And the matter was greatly displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son, because of his son Ishmael, Hagar's son. Now you may remember that Ishmael was the son of the bondwoman, because Sarah was frustrated that she couldn't have children on her own. And so she told her husband, Abraham, remember a few chapters ago, she told her husband, Abraham, says, well, take my bondservant and let her have your child, and I'll call that my son, I'll call that my baby. And they were really trying to take matters into their own hands. Sarah was frustrated because she herself couldn't have a child, and so she convinced Abraham to do this thing and to have sexual relations with their, uh, her maidservant. So Abraham had a son through Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, the Egyptian servant that they had gotten in Egypt when they went down there at a time of famine. But Ishmael, even though he made Abraham happy because now Abraham at least had one heir to all of his possessions. As he was getting older, he wanted to know that he had a son that would take over things when he was gone. Before that, he had no one. In fact, he said that Eleazar, his servant, was the heir of all that he had. He didn't have a child to give these things to. And so he was pretty happy when Ishmael was born. He treated him like his son because he was his son. He was uh, the son of Abraham, but the mother was Hagar. And Sarah called uh, Hagar, you know, and, and said, you have this child for us, and then I'll call it my son. But you see, now that Sarah's got her own son, and she sees Ishmael, Hagar's son, laughing at her little son because he can't eat meat, and, you know, then she gets angry. And she says, get rid of this bondwoman, her son. They are not going to be the heir with my son, namely with Isaac. 
And then Abraham was very sad because Sarah was saying, like, get rid of this son that you have, Ishmael. Now, Ishmael, most scholars believe that he was probably around 15 to 17 years of age. And like we said earlier, the fact that Isaac, Yitzchak, is being weaned, he's probably around three years of age. Could be more, could be a little less, depending on when he was weaned. But if you don't think a 17-year-old can make fun of a three-year-old, then you've never had kids that age. They can do that. They can cause all kinds of problems with each other. And very quickly, they learn how to fight against each other. And brothers, it seems like, are meant for adversity a lot of times as in families. And so, you know, I, I had two sisters. I love my sisters now, but I'll tell you what, I've still got scars mentally from when I was growing up. And uh, it was two to one after all. You know, and there I was. I didn't know what was going on. I'm a guy. I'm clueless, right? Girls, though, they knew how to just beat me up. I'll tell you, they could, they could tell my mother what I had done wrong, and it would be two to one, and my mother was just convinced that I was the problem. Come to think of it, most of the time, I probably was the problem. But anyway, we look at this and everything, and we see that Abraham is not too pleased. And we see that Ishmael and his mother have to go. Sarah has made up her mind. She convinces Abraham. Abraham knows that she's made up her mind. She's not going to take no for an answer. But like any father would be, he deeply loved his son, Ishmael. But then God said to Abraham, it says in verse 12, that God said to Abraham, don't let this be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of the bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed will be called. Now it's amazing how often a husband quotes Ephesians 5 verse 22. You know that verse. Husbands, don't you? Wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Oh, if you know any verse in the Bible, husbands, that's the one you're an expert in. You know exactly where it is. You tell your wife, you know, honey, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And when you say that, just kind of stand up straight, stick out your chest, and you look up in the sky like you're just extremely wise. Your wife knows the truth. Come on. But the Bible does say, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. We know that verse very well, don't we, guys? But brothers, understand that Ephesians 5.22 follows Ephesians 5.21, which says, Submit yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Hmm. Well, just the wives submitting to the husbands, and husbands don't have to do anything? Not according to Ephesians 5.21. Husbands, it says, Submit yourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord. You submit yourselves to each other. The correct picture biblically, is husbands submitting themselves to their wives and the wives submitting to the husbands, listening to each other. Hmm. There's a concept. Receiving from each other. So that it's God that says to Abraham, listen to your wife. That's good counsel. I know my wife is very, very smart. I don't think that she's ever made a mistake except for that one time that she was mistaken. Maybe there's more. I don't know. But if she were to recount my mistakes, she would have to be here for weeks and weeks and weeks standing at this pulpit giving you a grand tour of how imperfect Pastor Stephen is. So I'm not going to fight that battle. She's such a blessing to me, and God has used her to give me wisdom throughout our lives. 45 years now, going on 46. And yet somehow she's still only 38. I don't know, but she looks 38 to me too. And, but verse 13 then in chapter 21, before I get into trouble, it says, Yet I will also make a, a nation out of the son of the bondwoman, God speaking to Abraham, because he's your seed. God is saying to Abraham in verse 12 and 13, Look, don't worry. I know you're concerned about your son Ishmael. You're concerned about the fate of the bondwoman. Here we are out in the wilderness. If we send them away, you don't know what will happen to them. But Abraham, you're a man of faith. You've learned over the years, over the decades, to trust God. 
And God's saying, you have my word, Abraham. I'm going to take care of him. In fact, I'm going to make a nation out of the son of the bondwoman. And since the son's going to do so well, his, his mother, the bondwoman, is also going to do well. So don't you worry about him. I'm going to bless him too, because after all, Abraham, he is your seed as well. But it's going to be by the seed that you have with your wife, Sarah, that I'm going to establish my promise. The promise to eventually bless the world through the Jewish seed by bringing the Messiah. And he will give salvation to all the ends of the earth, to all who would believe on God's Mashiach, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. So God is saying to Abraham, I know Ishmael is important to you. God's saying to Abraham, and because he's your child, I'm going to make a great nation out of him. Ishmael did indeed become a great nation, and the Arab people are today of today are from Ishmael. But although Ishmael was made a great nation, eventually God's plan for salvation, as we said, would be through the seed of Yitzchak and not Ishmael. God just determined it to be that way. God wanted there to be a miracle in the salvation that he was going to provide. It wasn't a miracle for Abraham to have sexual relations with a bondwoman, you see, a younger woman, and to have her pregnant and have a son. God wanted to do something that only God could do. God wanted to make a miraculous birth so that people through the centuries could look back at the amazing miracle that God did by letting a woman who was 90 years of age and a husband who was 100 years of age have a child when they were so far past the years of childbearing. So God, in His desire to show the miraculous power of God and that nothing is impossible with Him, caused His Messiah to come through the seed of the miracle child, to come through Isaac's seed. And salvation would come through the seed of Isaac, the child born of the miraculous promise of God. Now we read in verse 14, the first part of verse 14, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he took bread and a skin of water, and put it on the shoulder of the bondwoman, and gave it and the boy to Hagar, and sent her away. Now, when you first read this, you think, well, that's cold. Why would he do that? I mean, he's sending her out into the wilderness. They, they could die out there. Well, at first, the story looks very troubling. But at this point, Abraham was a very wealthy man. He could have given her herds of camels to load it down with supplies to send her out. Abraham had, given, had been given riches from Pharaoh and Abimelech and had all of this wealth. Well, why? Would he have, why wouldn't he have sent Hagar and Ishmael away with a huge caravan of supplies? But if you really look at it closer, it makes perfect sense for a man of faith. He was giving her something far more special, far more valuable. He knew that the greatest thing he could give them was to teach them that God was with them and that they could trust God. He was teaching them that God is faithful. And we're going to see in Hagar's dealings out in the wilderness, God's going to appear to her as the angel of the Lord. And we're going to see that God shows her that God is watching over them and that God is indeed faithful. So not only was God faithful to Abraham and Sarah by bringing the promised child along, as he had promised he would do for 25 years, but now he's going to be faithful with Hagar and take care of her and take care of the child. We'll get into that. He knew, Abraham knew, that eventually the food that he had given Hagar and the little boy would be gone. But he was going to show them that God's going to come through and take care of them. That water would, would eventually need to be replaced. It would be gone. But a, heart to learn to, but a heart that learns to trust in the faithfulness of God will always be secure and provided for food and drink. Now in Genesis 14, the other part, all the way up through verse 17, we read, Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, Beersheba in that wilderness is very hot down there, and it's very barren and desolate. And when it says she wandered, she wasn't just taking a, 
It wasn't like getting a travel trailer behind a car or a truck and, and going out for a vacation. She wandered because she didn't know which way to go. She wandered looking for water, looking for food, looking for shelter from the hot sun. She wandered. She was desperate. She departed and she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, it said in verse 14. Verse 15 then continues, and the water in the skin was used up. The water that he had given her in the skin to preserve the water was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs, under one of the bushes, off in the distance. And then she went and sat down from him, across from him, the distance of about a bow shot. You take a powerful bow, you put an arrow in it, you aim it up at just the right angle to where it'll go the farthest, and you pull back the hardest you can, you shoot it, and it's probably going to go a very, very long distance. You're probably looking at 100 yards or more, 100 meters or more with a strong uh, bow like that. That's how far she walked away from the child. And she said to herself, it says in verse 16, that she sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, I don't want to see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite and lifted up her voice and she cried. She wept. Verse 17 then says, And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What's wrong, Hagar? What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Now who is this angel of God? Is this an angel? Well, all of the angels are of God. But this is a special angel. This is the very angel of God himself. God became this angel and appeared to her. And the Lord himself appeared to her and said, What's wrong, Hagar? This is Jesus. Before he came to earth as the Messiah, he is eternally before and after that time. He is eternally the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later it said in the same chapter in, in the New Testament that, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It is He who was and who gave His life for us and was raised from the dead and lives forevermore, God Himself. He was in the beginning with God, and He was and is God in a way that we don't understand. There's not three gods. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohino, Adonai Echad. There is only one God, but He exists in a way that is far beyond our understanding. He's not like you and I. He's far above us. His thoughts, higher than our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. His ways, far higher than our ways as the heavens are above the earth. He is with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one, and God is one. And now the angel of God, Jesus himself, appears before the Lord. Not just a regular angel, but God himself. Appearing to her and says, what's wrong, Hagar? Centuries later, he would say to his disciples, why are you fearful? You of little faith, he said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. And now he was telling Hagar the same thing. Don't be afraid. In the Sea of Galilee, in the New Testament, he was saying, let's go on over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He had said in verse, in, in verse 18 of chapter 8 of the book of Matthew. He didn't say, let's go out in the middle of the lake and drown. Let's go down and as we're trying to get to the other side and we'll just drown out there in the middle of the lake with the winds and the waves blowing. No, Jesus had given the word to his disciples that day that they were indeed going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He said, let's go to the other side. And Jesus had already told Hagar that Ishmael would be blessed. You say, I know, yeah, we just, we're, we're reading that now, Pastor Stephen. No, I'm talking about Genesis 16 where Hagar was cast out from Sarah because, she, because uh, Sarah and Hagar were having disputes because Hagar became pregnant. 
And Sarah was a little jealous, but Hagar was also being like proud of being pregnant uh, when her mistress, Sarah, wasn't. And so Sarah had cast her out then in chapter 16. God met her in the wilderness then. She didn't have the baby then. God met her in the wilderness then and then said, Hagar, it's okay. You're not going to perish out here. You go back, you serve Sarah. I'm going to give you a child. And he's going to be great. Don't you worry. It's going to work out okay. And so now the Lord is saying to Hagar, just kind of in a loving way rebuking Hagar and say, didn't I give you my word? Hagar, back in Genesis 16, remember the last time you were out here? Didn't I give you my word? Have you already forgotten? Have you already forgotten my promise to you? What word has God given you? He's told you all things will work together for the good in Romans 8, 28. That's his word to you. He's told you that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He told you that in Matthew 28, verse 20. He's told you that He'll give you the desires of your heart. That was in Psalm 37, 4. And He's told you that your sins are forgiven in 1 John 1, 9. And he's told you that His love for you is everlasting, Jeremiah 31, 3. He's told you that you're more than a conqueror, Romans 8, 37. So remember, you remember the promises of God because He who has promised them is faithful. Now in Genesis 21, verse 18, 21, as we keep on going now and finish up, it says, Arise, God is telling Hagar, Arise, lift up the child and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water. She gave the child a drink. Verse 20 says, So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. <laughs> Isn't that strange? She was, she was a bow shot away from giving up the child, it said. Yeah, archer, you know, would fire back a bow, and that arrow would fly through the air, and that's how far the child was from her. And now the child grows up and becomes an archer. He probably heard the story that his mom told him as, as, she was, as he was growing up. And then it says in verse 21 he, <clears throat> that the lad dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. <clears throat> now, this part of our chapter today concludes with God hearing the cries of the child and seeing the tears of his mother. And God is concerned that Hagar is hopeless, so he tells her not to fear. He shows her that he hears even the little cries of the child that he hears us when we call out to him. And God reminded Hagar of the time when he had seen her in the same situation in Genesis 16. And in so doing, he's reminding her of the child he promised her at that time. And now here she is with that child. And so now God is being faithful and reminding her that he's also going to be faithful with that child and establish that child into a, a healthy child, a healthy young man, and that that child is going to be an in, entire nation himself, that God will bless him. So God is reminding us that he is faithful and that God will continue to be faithful and care for them. And now as we continue in chapter 21 in verse 22 and 24, it says that it came to pass that after that, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. It says that Abimelech and Phicol, the, the commander of his army, remember Abimelech, that they came out and they spoke to Abraham and said, God is with you in all that you do. Then verse 23, it says, So swear to me, now swear to me by God, that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me, and to the land in which you have dwelt. This was Abimelech's land at that time. So Abraham said, I'll swear to that. You see... <clears throat> God is showing Abraham the importance of humility in his life. He's become a humble man. He's seen the times when he lied about his wife twice now, his wife being his sister. He sees these times when he's, he's lied to Pharaoh and then to Abimelech, and, and he's become humble, and he feels bad about that. So he doesn't talk so much anymore. He just seeks the Lord 
and just wants the people around him, the hundreds of people that dwell with him, he wants them to know what God is like. And he does not want to misrepresent God by lying or being deceptive or being a man that doesn't honor his promise. And so Abraham tries to just be a humble man, to be a quiet man. And Abimelech sees that God is blessing Abraham. He sees that God has blessed Abraham with all of these crops, with all of these uh, herd, with the sheep and the goats and all of these uh, creatures and everything that will provide food, that will provide clothing for them, that will provide milk for them, and that Abraham is blessed greatly by God. Abimelech sees that. And so he says, listen, I've come to you because uh, I see that God is blessing you. You're becoming very, very powerful. There'll be a time when, you know, uh, you know, Abimelech said, you know, hey, I'll give you some land. You just take wherever you want, but you know, you're too powerful for us. You need to go away now and, and have your own little thing going on there because you're far too powerful for us. And Abimelech was afraid of him. What if Abraham just wanted more land, just wanted to be a king of that place instead of Abimelech? He could have taken it over, but he didn't. But then Abimelech, instead of like being angry with Abraham when Abraham lied about his wife being his sister, after being warned by God in a dream, Abimelech actually blessed Abraham and gave him all these servants and creatures and everything to aid, to grow his flock and everything, trying to do the right thing because God had told him that Abraham was a prophet of his. And so Abimelech doesn't want to be on the wrong side of God. He respects God. He honors God. And so he tries to bless Abraham. But now he sees that Abraham is growing even more. That his community, his flocks, all of these things are growing even more. And so he goes out to him and says, Listen, I've been thinking. Make an agreement with me because I want to know for sure that you're not going to rise up against me or rise up against my sons as they become kings or rise up against the, the people that I love and the land that I'm a king over. I want to know that you're not going to rise up and do evil to us. And so Abraham said, no worries. In verse 24, I'll swear to that. You see, after years of watching Abraham, Abimelech can see that God is with him. Even though he lied about his wife being his sister, he now sees a more humble man and that God is blessing Abraham and growing him greatly. And so Abimelech's coming to say, hey, listen, I know that God is with you. I respect that. You are truly a man of God. And so, Abraham, make me a promise that I can trust you. I know that God doesn't lie. I know that God is faithful. And so if you belong to God and you're a man of God, which I believe you are, then I know you will be faithful if you make this covenant with me. And Abraham makes that covenant. And my friend, when you walk with God, it shows. People notice it. And they see that there's something different about you. God is blessing you, but they see you don't respond the way other people do. When people get angry, you don't get angry back. When someone hits, you don't hit back. God is in your life doing amazing things. And Abimelech sees that he is, Abraham is serving a faithful God. Therefore, Abraham must be a faithful man. Now in Genesis 21, verse 25, it then says, But then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I don't know about this thing. You didn't tell me, nor had I even heard of it until today. In verse 27, says, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and two of them, the two of them, made a covenant with each other. Verse 28 says, And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Verse 29, Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you've set by themselves? And Abraham said in verse 30, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. And it says in verse 32 then, Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba, 
So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Now, you see all of this stuff. Here's Abimelech trying to bless Abraham, trying to come and appease Abraham and make a covenant with him because he sees he's a man of God. And Abraham says, okay, I'll sign that. Okay, I'll agree with you. We'll make a covenant together. And, and I want you to take these lambs to show that, look, there's no bad feelings between me and you. You gave me things before. I want to bless you with these. But every time you see these that I gave you, every time you remember these, I want you to think on this, that I'm trying to do an honest thing, that I'm trying to be an honest man. I know there was a time when I deceived you, but I'm not that way anymore. I'm honest now. I'm going to deal honestly with you, and this is what I want to give you to remind you of the fact that I didn't have to give you these. You came to me to make a covenant, and I'm insisting on giving you these because I want you to know that I'm a changed man. I'm a different man. I'm honest now. You can trust me. As we make these covenants together, I want you to know that you can trust me to keep my side of it, and I'll trust you to keep your side of it. <clears throat> Abraham was saying, I'm not a deceptive person. He spoke the truth. No matter how unpopular it was, Abraham spoke the truth. He wasn't an angry person. He had a good relationship with those around him now. But when he needed to talk to someone about something that was on his mind, he would speak honestly with him. And even though they made this big, big covenant, Abraham says, well, yeah, I do have one little problem with this well here. And they wanted to know that Abimelech's people weren't going to try to come and take that well. That well was important. It was where they got their water from. And so that was on Abraham's mind. And so Abraham mentioned it at the end of this other covenant. He says, now I've got to talk to you about something. That well there, this is our well. I want to know from you. I want to hear from you. I trust you. I want to hear from you that you'll leave this well alone. And so they made an agreement about that. So Abraham called the name of the place Beersheba. Be'er is how we say well in Hebrew. The Sheba is not the Sheva, the number seven, like you would think in Hebrew, but it means a covenant. It's kind of like another way of saying a different kind of Brit or covenant, if you will. There's an agreement. It's a, it's a way to agree. So Be'er Sheba. This is, the, this is the agreement made at the well. Be'er, well, Sheba, agreement. This is the agreement made at the well. A different agreement than the other one, you see. So they still left as friends, both trying to come together for the good of their existence together, for the good of the people. You know, so many people today have lost the ability to talk peacefully with others and with whom they might disagree. That's true, certainly, in politics today. Uh, decades ago, most of us remember, people from different political parties could disagree on issues and ideologies but they, spill, but they still spoke with each other as friends, both trying to come together for the good of country and for the good of the people. Those people could speak in a civil manner with others, and those kind of people that could speak civilly with others that didn't agree with them, we called those people, those politicians, statesmen. That was a highly honorable title. It was a title of honor in which you said if a person is a statesman, He's a gentleman. He doesn't try to solve everything with fighting or angry words or, or just acting like animals. No, he tries to negotiate, tries to come up with a win-win situation, and decided that the friendship with the other person was more important than any particular piece of legislation they were fighting about. And so they were friends first, and then they were people in the government, in the Congress, in the Senate, whatever it was, the Knesset in Israel. There were people, though, that had primitive anger, and that would be their response to things, and that's what we see today. Primitive anger never has a chance of fixing problems that exist. But these people who were statesmen at the time would extend an olive branch of peace to the other side and try to come up with a win-win peaceful solution, a solution in which both sides would have to compromise. They might not get everything they wanted, but they would end up with more than they had before. 
it seems like that's been lost now. Sadly, there are very few statesmen left in politics today. The ideas of compromise and having civil discussions have been replaced in the minds of some people with crazed desire to totally destroy others who don't think like they do. They're living like animals. But Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That's all I'll say about that. We close in verse 33 then and 34 in chapter 21. It says, Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called the name and called on the name of the Lord the everlasting God. And that's El Olam is how you would say that in Hebrew. El, short for Elohim. Olam is how we would say forever, the eternal. El Olam, the everlasting God. El Shaddai. God most high, God most powerful. And then verse 34 says, Then Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days, in Abimelech's land. So we see in these closing verses today that even though Abraham had a disagreement with Abimelech, he believed Abimelech's a promise to honor the agreement they had made. And Abraham showed great generosity in giving Abimelech seven lambs and a living reminder of the agreement that they had made. All in all, we see that Abraham is now a humble, honest, charitable person, a wise person, generous person. Abraham provides a wonderful model of what a godly man should be to us today. He's an example of a godly man today for us. And finally, Abraham went back to his simple life. He simply planted a tree to commemorate the faithfulness of God. Today we worship God with stringed instruments and worship instruments and singing. Abraham didn't have that. He just worshiped God by planting a tree. You can worship God in many ways as long as you worship Him in spirit and in truth. Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So we see the man Abraham growing in the Lord, learning more and more about God as he goes through life. He didn't become a new man overnight. No, it was a gradual process. Just like growing from a tiny baby into a full-grown adult is a gradual process. And God is patiently guiding Abraham each day, each year of his life. You know, in the days before digital cameras, people had to buy film to put in a camera. And when you took a picture in the camera, the image would be imprinted chemically on the film inside the camera. But you could not see the picture right away like you can today in the digital cameras. You had to take the film to a place that would put, you had to take that film to a place that would put the film in chemical process and do what we call develop the film. And that would make the invisible image become visible. Now the way that the chemicals worked would work slowly. At first, you couldn't see anything about the picture. Then after a little while in the chemicals that they used to develop the image, you could start to see some parts of the picture, but everything was still blurry. It wasn't clear. You really couldn't tell what the picture was all about. But after the right amount of time in the chemicals, a clear, sharp picture would come forth, and you would see what that picture was all about. In the same way, when God is leading you through life, you don't always see what he's doing or where he's taking you instantly or at that moment. But after a while, a picture starts to develop in your mind and you begin to understand some of the things that he's doing in your life. But it's not really completely clear yet. But if you'll be faithful and you'll keep trusting him, the time will come when he will show you clearly and you will understand what he's doing in your life to make it better to make your relationship with Him stronger. It all comes down to you simply being loyal to God and trusting Him with every day of your life. It all comes down to you simply being faithful to God. He knows the future. He loves you greatly. He's all-powerful. So there's nothing you can stop Him there's nothing that can stop him from blessing you and leading you into the things that are beautiful and the best for your life. All you have to do is simply trust him. Be faithful in trusting him and be faithful in resting in his care. He will always be faithful in keeping his promises. You just need to simply be faithful in waiting for him and trusting him and his timing in life. 
Just be faithful. Just be faithful. Amen. Why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry. He'll answer you and He'll rescue you from the darkness you're in, the darkness that surrounds you and clouds your life over. He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person, throw all that old past failures away and you'll be made completely new, given a new start and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can even repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'll tell you something. God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. And a little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes He's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church like we were saying. Learn about Him every day in His Word. Talk to God every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life. 